Our prayer for illumination, let us pray. God of wisdom, by your spirit, open our minds to your truth, our hearts to your good news, and our hands to do your will. We pray in the name of Jesus, your living word. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 1 through 10a. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. We'll now have our responsive reading, if you would like to rise. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise strength and and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent, such people will stand firm forever. The gospel lesson is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, 
doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Some years ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury was rushing to catch a train in London. In his haste, he actually jumped on the wrong passenger car and found himself in a car full of inmates from a mental hospital. They were all dressed in mental hospital clothing. Just as the train pulled out, an orderly came in and began to count the inmates. One, two, three, four. When suddenly he saw this distinguished looking gentleman there wearing a business suit and a clerical collar, and he said, who are you? The answer came back, I am the Archbishop of Canterbury. And the orderly said, five, six, seven, Eight. The point of that story is this, of course. It is so important to know who we are and who other people are. If we know what makes us tick and what makes other people tick, we get along a lot better. If we understand where we are coming from, and where other people are coming from, we relate better. There is more compassion, more empathy, and more kindness. That's why in recent years we have heard so much about personality tests. Employers, counselors, job placement agencies use them effectively. You may have heard of the Berkman personality profile. Well, interestingly enough, I want to use that this morning as a way of studying our passage of scripture from the gospel, the story of Jesus, Mary, and Martha. So let's try it this morning as we look at this somewhat confusing Mary and Martha story Dr. Roger Berkman, a psychologist, has developed a fascinating computer personality profile, which suggests, broadly speaking, that there are four different personality styles. And let, let me outline them for you. And see if you can find yourself or maybe someone you know. It's always easier to look for someone you know. Between the lines. Number one. There is the action-oriented doer. 
This person is action-oriented and strong-willed. The autocratic doer means business, and everybody else had better get out of the way. Number two, there is the detailed planner. This person plans the work and then works the plan. The detailed planner's personality is precisely what the name implies. One who thinks things through in great detail. One who plans ahead. One who wants things done neatly, orderly, and systematically. As we Presbyterians like to say, decently and in order. The detailed planner does really well, really well, as, lo as long as no one messes up the plan. And then three, we have the enthusiastic salesperson. This person has no plan. The enthusiastic salesperson is a people person who operates on personality and has a strong ability to wow people and win them over and sell them on his or her ideas and dreams. And then there's number four the artistic, poetic philosopher. This person is more soulful, more tuned in to beauty, reverence, and awe. The artistic poet philosopher is creative, one who enjoys quiet and pensive moments of solitude, one who can tune into the wonders of the universe, one who can experience a sunset or a Brahms melody and feel in that experience the presence of God nearer than breathing. Now, Roger Berkman has developed an interesting way of clarifying these four personality styles so that we can recognize them more quickly and easily. He puts it this way. Imagine that you have nine cats in a house and that your task is to get the cats out of the house. How would you do it? How would the action-oriented doer handle this? Well, obviously the action-oriented doer would take charge and say, scat, and the cats had better get out if they know what's good for them. The detailed planner, on the other hand, would number the cats one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine in calligraphy with neat tags attached to the right side of each cat's collar. And then the detailed planner would make nine neat holes in the wall and number them one through nine in calligraphy. Cat one must go out hole one. Cat two must go out hole two. Cat three must go out hole three. And if cat four runs out hole seven, then the whole plan's thrown off whack. The enthusiastic salesperson would say, no problem, piece of cake, I can handle this. And then the enthusiastic salesperson would open all the doors and windows, get some warm milk and cat food, go outside and say, here, kitty, kitty and convince the cats that they're a lot better off outside anyway. 
Meanwhile, the artistic poetic philosopher would say, what in the world am I doing worrying about cats? The point of Roger Berkman's computer personality profile is obvious. We are different. We are different. And when we recognize, understand, respect, and celebrate our differences, we get along better. The idea is rooted deeply in the Bible. Now, with this as a backdrop for our thinking, look with me at this remarkable passage at the end of Luke 10, where Jesus comes to visit in the home of Mary and Martha. Put on your amateur psycholo psychological hat and see if you can psychoanalyze Mary and Martha and figure out what their personality styles are and how their personality styles impact the story. Remember the story with me. All morning long, there had been a bustle of excitement in the home in Bethany. Jesus was coming. He was coming for dinner. Martha was so excited. Since daybreak, Martha has been sweeping, scrubbing, dusting, checking recipes, darting in and out of the kitchen, frantically preparing the food and putting the place in order for this special occasion. Every moment now is precious. Time is wasting. So much to do, so many details to cover. Then Jesus arrives. And look what happens. Mary whisks in to take over as hostess. She welcomes Jesus and the disciples warmly and ushers them into the living room. There's a certain urgency about the moment. The master is on his way to Jerusalem and to the cross. He begins to talk to his friends. He has so much to tell them, so much to teach them in so little time. And they listen attentively, especially Mary. Mary has positioned herself at the feet of Jesus and she's drinking in his every word. How good to have him here. How good to hear him again. How good it is just to be in his presence. Meanwhile, Martha is out in the kitchen slaving away, preparing the meal, polishing the silverware, cutting up the fruit and vegetables checking the last-minute details, doing the 101 things which in her super-efficient mind needed to be done. But here is the problem. All the while Martha is working feverishly, she is seething inside. Her indignation mounts. She gets more and more aggravated, more and more frustrated. She feels more and more put upon, more and more stressed out. Where is Mary? Why isn't she in here helping me? Who does she think she is? Sitting in there with our guests and leaving all the dirty work to me. Surely Jesus can see the injustice of this situation. Martha, Martha, that's Martha's reasoning. Finally, unable to contain herself any longer, her resentment erupts. And she bursts out of the kitchen into the living room and she makes a scene. 
Have you ever been in a scene before? Most of us have. And Martha Shore makes one here. She cries, look at this, Lord. I'm having to do all the work here. Don't you care that my sister Mary has left me to serve alone? Don't you care that she's sitting here listening to you instead of helping me with the meal? Get on to her now. Tell her to get out here in the kitchen and help me. But Jesus says to her, Oh, dear Martha, don't be so worried and troubled about so many things. Relax, lighten up. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion which shall not be taken from her. End of story. One of those very quick little stories about Jesus that we find in the Gospels. It has a beginning. It doesn't really have an end. Now look at these personality styles. Have you already figured out who Martha and Mary are? What about Mary? Do you have her pegged? Well, of course, she's the artistic poetic philosopher who's thrilled just to bask in the warmth of the moment. She stirred, thrilled, touched, inspired by the presence of Jesus. How about Martha? Well, obviously she is the detailed planner. She's planned the event to the nth degree. She's covered every detail. She has worked her fingers to the bone in her super efficient way. Yet, here in the story, Jesus rebukes Martha. It's a gentle rebuke. Dear Martha. But nevertheless, he did speak words that compared Martha unfavorably with her less practical sister Mary. And the question that explodes out of this story is why? Why? Not for a moment should we imagine that Jesus was unappreciative of Martha's intense desire to do her job well. Not for a moment should we imagine that Jesus thinks artistic poetic philosophers are better than detailed planners. No, not that at all. If Mary had been seething, he would be rebuking her. You see, Jesus was not concerned about what Martha was doing outwardly, but rather about what she was feeling inwardly. His concern was for Martha herself. He was concerned about her attitudes, how perceptive he was, how quickly he could size things up. In a moment, with a brief glance, he could penetrate right into the innermost motives. He could see right down into the inner recesses of a person's soul. And friends, he does that with every one of us, over and over and over. Let me hurry to say, this is no criticism of detailed planner personalities. We need them. Every church, every business, every family needs Martha's. 
somebody who keeps the wheels going and keeps them oiled so that everything goes smoothly. But when Jesus looked at Martha that day in that emotional scene, he saw some red flags, some warning signals, some danger signs, some destructive attitudes within her which were more harmful to Martha herself than to anyone else. Jesus loved Martha. They were good friends. And that day, he saw in her some hurtful attitudes that were working in her like spiritual poisons, petty attitudes which can devastate and destroy the soul. Let's look at these dangerous attitudes which were in Martha. We may find ourselves or someone we know somewhere between the lines. When Jesus looked at Martha that day, he saw deep down inside of her, first of all, the dangerous attitude of resentment. Martha was resenting Mary. In my opinion, there's nothing more destructive to our spiritual lives than resentment. It can absolutely ruin your life. And Jesus knew it. It concerned him to see this dangerous attitude of resentment in Martha. In the Greek language, there are two words for anger. There is thumos, a kind of quick anger, which quickly blazes up and just as quickly dies down. That was our son, as I remember him, when he was a teenager, a young teenager and even older. He would get mad at us. Suddenly, I would, we would hear him stomping up the stairs. And we'd hear his bedroom door shut with a slam. But five minutes later, he'd be down as though nothing had happened. Quick anger. And then there is orge. This is a kind of seething anger, a brooding anger, an anger that has long lived. It is the anger of the person who nurses his or her wrath to keep it warm. An anger that festers and will not die, that is orge. And that is what resentment is made of. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks repeatedly about the dangers of resentment. He says, in effect, beware of resentment, it is dangerous. Beware of brooding, seething anger. Beware of resentful gossip. Beware of the contemptuous, resentful tone or attitude. All of these are murderous. They are all devastating. We see it here in the Mary and Martha story in a couple of dramatic ways. First, notice the words used to describe Martha. There was three words, distracted, anxious, troubled. That's what resentment does to you. But even more, her resentment cut her off, not only from her sister Mary, but also from her Lord. The same thing happened to the elder brother in the prodigal son parable, remember? He resented his brother so much that he wouldn't even go in and join the feast to welcome him home. And it cut him off from his father. 
That's how resentment affects us, and that is why it is so dangerous. It separates us from people, and it separates us from God. In this episode, what is Jesus saying? Simply this. Beware of the dangerous attitude of resentment because it can devastate your soul. And then secondly, there is the resentful, or the, rather the dangerous attitude of narrowness, narrowness. Martha is done in by her narrow perspective. Martha thinks her way is the only way, and she wants to force her way on Mary. Martha's view has become so narrow that she can't see any other way to receive the master but her way, the detailed planning way. She's blind to the miracle of uniqueness. She forgets that we are all different, that we are individuals and that each of us has a unique relationship with our Lord. How often I have seen this narrow attitude cause problems theologically some people think their religious experience is the only valid one, however they came about their religious experience, about finding Jesus in their lives. And they try to force their way on everybody they meet. They don't understand that God is big enough to relate to each one of us differently, individually, uniquely, personally. Some years ago in another church, a party was given to recognize a married couple for their outstanding work in the church's youth program. Now let me tell you about this couple. I will call them Betty and Bill. They had very different personalities. Betty was vivacious, outgoing, gregarious, affectionate. A hugger. If you gave her a bow ribbon, she would jump up and down and squeal with delight and then run around and hug and kiss everybody in the room. Bill, on the other hand, was the opposite. He was quiet, reserved, shy, stable, balanced. If you gave him a Mercedes and a trip to Hawaii, all he would do is say a quiet and sincere thank you. Now, on this particular night, Betty and Bill were given a surprise party. The young people jumped up out from their hiding places, shouted, surprise, and then gave Betty and Bill a present. It was a beautiful plaque. Do you know what Betty did? She read the plaque out loud. She squealed with delight. She cried. She jumped up and down, and then she ran around the room, hugging and kissing everybody in sight. Meanwhile, Bill waited. When she was through, he said quietly, I want to thank you too. But that's not the end of the story. Betty turned on Bill. She got mad at him and she made a scene. Look at you, Bill. You don't appreciate anything. If you did, you would act like it. You would do like I do, but you see, Bill can't act that way because he just isn't made that way. He's not wired up like Betty. 
He can't act like her. He can't respond that way. If he did, it would be fake, it would be artificial, it would be embarrassing. You want to say, Betty, Betty, leave him alone. Don't force your way on him. Let him do it his way. Let him be Bill. Now, I have to tell you that hugs and kisses are great. Squeals of delight are wonderful to hear. But I also know that Bill's quiet thank you is just as real, just as genuine, just as valid. In this episode with Martha and Mary, Jesus is saying, beware of the dangerous attitude of narrowness. It can devastate your soul. And thirdly and finally, there is the dangerous attitude of unkindness. Don't miss this now. When will we ever learn? You see, Martha tried to make herself look good by making Mary look bad. And it boomeranged on her. And she came up, or came out in this instance, the unattractive one. Ultimately, it happens every time our harsh, condemning judgments come back to haunt us. When we are unkind to others, we are the ones who end up looking bad. Some time ago, there was an article on marriage, a rather routine article except for one great statement, one of the greatest statements about marriage relationships that I've read anywhere, and it said this, If you are ever in a situation where you have to choose between making either yourself or your mate look good, always choose to make your mate look good rather than yourself. Jesus would have liked that counsel. And he would have enhanced it by saying, always choose to make other people look good rather than yourself. That kind of kindness boomerangs too. It comes back to bless. I know a woman who lives like that, always bragging about others and encouraging others, always making others look good rather than herself. And the fascinating thing is that everybody who knows her loves her and respects her and appreciates her and admires her because of that unwavering kindness. The point is clear. What we send out comes back. If we send out unkindness, it comes back to haunt us. If we send out grace and love and compassion, those come back to bless us. In the Mary and Martha story, Jesus is teaching us a great lesson about our inner attitudes, and he's saying, beware of resentment. Resentment, beware of narrowness. Beware of unkindness. Choose instead the way of grace and love and compassion. Amen.